temptation. Again, I can be 100% sure that everyone in this building this evening has faced a temptation. Perhaps even to the extent that we're not even aware sometimes when we are being tempted. And so we're going to be looking at this subject this evening, which you probably have already guessed from the two readings we've had through the account of the temptation of Jesus by the devil. But it's me, so first the story. A man goes into a pet store looking for a monkey and he says, I don't want just any old monkey. I want one that can do something really special. And so the store owner points towards three identical looking monkeys and uh, says, the one on the left, he costs £1,500. The man's £1,500. Well, what can he do? Well, he can program computers. Okay. Uh, so the customer asks about the second monkey. And the, the man says, well, that one costs £5,000. What? £5,000? What on earth can that do? Well, that monkey can tell you everything you want to know about biogenetics. Okay, he says... A little bit fearful now whether he should ask the cost for the third monkey, but he goes ahead and asks, and he's told, well, that monkey costs £10,000. £10,000, he says. What can he do? And the owner replies, to be honest, I've never seen him do anything. But he calls himself a consultant. (laughs) Apologies to all consultants here this evening. Uh, But in all seriousness, and I say this reverently, if we are believers here this evening, don't we have our own priceless consultant? Someone from whom we can seek wisdom, guidance, advice at any time and anywhere. Someone who is more a friend and a brother. And above everything else, someone above who is our saviour. And yet there is another consultant in this world. Someone, by contrast, who is cheap and nasty. A Satan. Someone that all of us equally have spent time consulting Here in the temptations of uh, Jesus, we see Satan even pitting his evil skills against the Son of God. And that should teach us straight away that we must treat the devil lightly at our peril. Yes, he is a liar. And he considers himself far above his station in life. But he loves to run on the main line. And we must shunt him into the sidings. More than that, to do a Dr. Beeching and close the line completely with the Spirit's help. Now Matthew and Luke, as we've seen, both spend time and ink on Jesus' temptation uh, by Satan. 
Uh, Mark gives us just a brief snapshot of this event in uh, Mark chapter 1 where we read, Once the Spirit sent him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So that's Mark's little snapshot account of what we've seen in a longer pattern from both Matthew and Luke. But I want us to be clear right at the outset that Jesus is not weakly in the grip of the devil here. He is not being pulled pillar to post, but as in all the events in his life and in his ministry, Jesus is fully in control. And as we've seen here, even in this occasion, he is led into the wilderness and to this period of temptation by God the Spirit. Now some may ask, why temptation in the first place? Well, the Greek word for temptation is testing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 in the Old Testament, we find an excellent answer as God speaks to his people Israelites. Why temptation? Well, God says to his people, remember how the Lord your God led you in the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble and to test you. That's the word, test. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So why temptation? Well, it's part of God's plan for our lives. Part of his sanctifying work through the Spirit. For those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might grow, that we might be strengthened as his children. And as someone has said, our convictions are only strong if they hold up under pressure. Our convictions are only strong if they hold up under pressure. So temptation is part of our human experience, whether a follower of Jesus or not. And Jesus, by going through this experience himself in his humanity, provides us with an example to follow, the strength to resist, and the friendship to accompany us through times of temptation. So that the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4 verse 15 can write, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted, tested in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So temptation has been part of human history since the beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, we see that the first Adam, when tempted, chose not to obey God. Later, when the Israelites were often tempted, they too often chose not to obey God. So what would the second Adam, Jesus, do on this occasion? Well, gloriously, he overcomes. And as a result, gives us the victory. So that Paul is able to write in Romans 5, 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in him through the one man, Jesus Christ. If we are believers here this evening, we must understand that we're going to be tested. As we've said, indeed, all are tempted. And because of our sinful natures, we don't need much encouragement, do we, sadly? But as Christians, it's how we will deal with temptation that will have an impact on how we will live as children of light, as God's children. We will all be tempted. But if we are believers here this evening, it's just how we will deal, how we will respond to temptation that will have an impact upon our lives in seeking to follow the Lord. So in summary, temptation is Satan's plan to get us to live our way, his way, and not God's way. Well, we have these wonderful words of encouragement from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now be careful. That's not just the get-out clause that we can just carry on and ignore temptation. But it does give us the hope and it does give us the reason for pressing on, seeking to resist the temptations. So let's come to our passage, the temptations. Well, as you've seen, perhaps notice that the order of the temptations in Matthew and Luke's accounts are a little bit different. There's a a few more details added in one and the other. But in each we read that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. And let's again be clear that this does not mean that every temptation that we face is because we are being led by the Spirit. We need to check that it's not ourselves, it's not the sin within us which has led uh, into uh, led us into temptation and of course we must pray on all occasions not to succumb to temptation however in both Matthew and Luke's accounts we read that this is the first event that takes place after Jesus' birth his younger years and his baptism by John the Baptist and with his father's words ringing in his ears this is my son the voice from heaven is challenged by a voice from hell from a time of a spiritual high Satan strikes and again we are reminded immediately that we are to be, remain alert at all times to Satan's guile and maliciousness. Often when we're tempted, it's not in our weaknesses, 
but in our strengths. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us beside the still waters of Psalm 23. But here he leads Jesus into a difficult time of testing. For the purposes of this evening, I'm going to take the Matthew order for the three temptations. Where perhaps we see first an attack on his nature. Secondly, an attack on his spirit. And thirdly, an attack on his ego. First, an attack upon his nature. Secondly, an attack upon his spirit. And thirdly, an attack on his ego. But what could these temptations in these areas mean for you and I this evening? Perhaps the attack upon our nature could be the temptations we face in the normality of life and our identity in Christ. Secondly, it may be the temptations we face when foolishly we want the sensational. And thirdly, temptations we face with power and possessions. So what can these temptations look like for us? First of all, in the normality of life. Secondly, in the sensationism of life. And thirdly, in power and possessions. So first, the temptation of the commonplace and identity. We've seen already that Jesus is led by the Spirit, and this included a sustained period of fasting, some 40 days. And I love this, one of those throwaway comments, almost an understatement. We read, Jesus was hungry. Can I suggest if we didn't eat for 40 days, we too uh, would be hungry. But what a great reminder here that Jesus was equally human as well as divine. And in his humanity... Having gone without food for 40 days, he was hungry. And so in the wilderness right now, Jesus was vulnerable. He's lonely, he's tired, and he's hungry. There are big decisions ahead. He's on a journey leading inexorably towards his death at Calvary for the sin of mankind. Taking the just punishment of his father's wrath against that same sinfulness. And it's right here that Satan tempts Jesus with something which is very normal, very commonplace. Get something to eat. You're hungry. The issue here is that Satan was tempting Jesus to use his divine power to satisfy a right need, but in a wrong way. He was tempting Jesus to use his power for his own needs and not for God's purposes. Satan was trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. It's as though Satan is whispering to Jesus, why, why should you go hungry? After all, with all your power, you can do something easy about this situation. 
as he would do later for some 5,000 and then later still 4,000 men plus women and children. So it wasn't a question whether Jesus could. It was a question whether Jesus should. And notice here, Satan says, if you are the Son of God, this is an attack on his identity. So the fact here is that something is not wrong in itself doesn't mean that it's good every time. We may be tempted in times of natural need to do what appears to be very normal but what else is going on in our motivations we might ask ourselves the question what is our hunger what means are we being tempted to use to satisfy this particular hunger is the devil whispering in our ears if you are a child of God How about using any means to satisfy what, after all, is a a normal need? After all, you know your Bibles well and you know you'll be okay with God, won't you? Are the devil's whispers significantly tempting to cause us to doubt Christ's true identity? If you are the Son of God. And even our identity, if we are believers, as we are children of God this evening. Are we tempted to give God a hand when things are not going according to our plans and time? When the going is getting tough? When things even are not making sense? And what do we read? We have Jesus' answer. It is written. Which shows us that Jesus not only knew God's word, but he obeyed it and used it. Jesus continues, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's very interesting here in my study and preparation uh, for this message, the references back to Deuteronomy. And again, what a wonderful truth here. The Old and the New Testament are one book interwoven by God's plans and purposes. And Jesus is here quoting from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, where we read, He humbled you, talking about the Israelites, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, The man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We note in passing that as humans, as we are made by God, we are created, yes, to feed on human bread, but also spiritual bread. That is God's word. And isn't this at the heart of our sinful rebellion against God? We just want bread We don't like God's word. We live for today and not about eternity. We want to be saved, but we don't want to believe in a saviour who alone can save us. We want very much to have 
our bread and not the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to take Jesus' answer and use God's word effectively. Trusting his promises because Satan is very adept at using and twisting God's word. And it's also worth remembering, isn't it, that using scripture is the only offensive weapon we have as Christians in the armory. Ephesians 6, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's important that we get dressed properly every morning. So how can we cope with being tempted in the normal things of life? Maybe this area of temptation is unknowingly a massive part of our lives. How do we spend our time, our abilities, money, leisure, etc.? How often as we go through the day and make our plans, do we consult God? Or do we just plough on? Yes, we've been there before. We know what buttons to push. But it can become even further than that. We are quickly making decisions and not, we're not consulting the Lord. We've been tempted in the normality of life to leave God behind, even if we're not deliberately pushing him aside. Are we tempted to worry ourselves to pieces as we think about the future? Are we tempted to doubt God and despair? Are we tempted to doubt that we are children of God? After all, surely our sinful lives are beyond the power of the cross. Well, I personally love these words from Philippians 4, again from Paul's hand, where we read, And my God, will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So let's remember, in our need, it might be in the very normal things of life, but God knows our needs and will supply all that we need so we do not need to be tempted in this area. We can tell Satan where to go. And we need to. Temptation of the normal of identity. Secondly, perhaps another area of temptation is the temptation of sensational foolishness. For we read that Jesus is then taken by Satan to Jerusalem and has him to stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, there is an attack on Jesus' identity and purpose as Satan says, if you are the Son of God, it's the same for us. Satan will continue to try and cause us to doubt our eternal relationship with him, with the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are his children. It is as though Satan continues to say to us, as he said to Adam and Eve, has God said? The great deceiver uses the same tactics, which is probably because it has successfully worked time and time again throughout history. We must be aware of attractive or persuasive reasons to do something sensational or foolish, when in effect we are putting God to the test. 
I'd like to say how often I tried to do something sensational on the football field, but some here would better say no, Nigel, never. <laughs> I'd love to better say it on the golf course, but again, the same answer. Uh, something perhaps you wouldn't be uh, so aware of, I love model rowing. And time and time again, I've begun a new layout, and it was going to be the most sensational layout that people could, I could charge people to come in and see it. Uh, they'd see a disaster. I've had to learn time and time again, it's not the sensational in this area. It's the simpler things of life which make it easier all round. And Satan says to Jesus, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan is here misinterpreting Psalm 91, another common characteristic of temptation. Psalm 91 does speak of God's protection of his people. But he does not invite them to use God's power for sensational or foolish displays. And Jesus here was not willing to create a sensation by a spectacular stunt. As his purpose, in contrast, was to preach the good news of the kingdom and to heal the sick. And Jesus' answer is so helpful, isn't it? There's no discussion no negotiation, simply and clearly, we are told not to put God to the test. Again, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, this time in chapter 6, where it says very plainly, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Massa is one of those places, those occasions, when Israel was tested in the wilderness. Read about it in Exodus chapter 17. And now Jesus is in the wilderness, being tempted to test his father by forcing him to, to prove his care and protection. Signs and wonders. The Jews in Jesus' day loved them, always asking for something more. We need to be warned. And Jesus also warned against the show of the religious leaders in his days. Again, in Mark chapter 12, we read, as he, taught, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They love to walk around in flowing robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Well, those last words should be reason enough to resist showing off or being foolish, shouldn't they? God wants us to live by faith and not by magic. We are not to try and manipulate God by asking for signs. So where might this temptation arise for us? Maybe peer pressure, maybe low esteem, maybe pride, maybe because we are dissatisfied with the norm of God's dealings with us, his church and the world. 
Are we those that love to seek attention? Do we long to be used by the Lord, but that we can be put in the spotlight? Do we love to be noticed because we pray for at least 15 minutes in the prayer meeting? And do we plan to have a blue plaque erected in our church commemorating all our years of spectacular commitment to the work of the Lord? Now those things in and of themselves are not wrong. But what is our motivation behind these actions? Do we need the Spirit's help? So the temptation of the normal, the temptation of the sensational, thirdly, the temptation of power and possessions. We read in Matthew's account that Jesus is taken by Satan to a a very high mountain and shown all the kingdoms of the world. It's interesting to note here that there is no longer any attack upon Jesus' identity. It's now straight to the point. And the devil is proposing another less costly option. Win the world by striking a bargain with me. And as in all the other temptations, each one is bypassing the cross. Jesus could have the world at his fingertips, but quicker and pain-free. He could have a crown without the cross. It sounds attractive, doesn't it? Adam and Eve had everything but were offered the one seemingly missing link to be like God, and they fell for it. And Satan offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. It's as though he's saying the world is mine, not God's. And if you hope to succeed, you better recognise that fact. Jesus doesn't argue the point, but nonetheless refuses to validate Satan's wish. Jesus knew that he, as the creator, the world was his. He knew that he is the sustaining God. And he knew that soon he would redeem this fallen, helpless world at Calvary. Contrasting with the first Adam where disobedience led to suffering and death for all mankind, here the second Adam, Jesus, his obedience still leads to suffering, but also to victory and to life for all those who put their trust in him. This is a really telling temptation, isn't it? This is perhaps again where the reality hits as we struggle to live as children of light. Today the devil is still offering us the whole world through materialism and power. Perhaps we might be too embarrassed to admit it. But doesn't the world play on our natural desire to want more? Because we're secretly discontent, dissatisfied even with what God has given us. If we are believers here this evening then, we too like Adam and Eve have almost everything. 
All the blessings in Christ Jesus that we've begun, as we see in Ephesians chapter 1. All the good gifts that God so generously lavishes on us together with his grace. Only heaven itself remains out of bounds until we're taken by God to be with him forever. But we still want more. At a general level, how often have we spent time trying to put the world to rights? And perhaps more to the point, not for yourselves here, of course, I'm not saying this, but as an illustration. And those elders, if only I had the position, I'd get this church humming and successful. I say that because sadly over church history, and even today, too many church leaders have fallen for this temptation. All of us need to be aware of power and possessions. And if we are unbelievers here this evening, then let's take a look at what you have and what you still want. That promotion, that more exotic holiday, that new model car, the latest gimmick, that better looking woman or man. It's all true, sadly, isn't it? We all want more, just like Oliver. And Satan knows this area of temptation is such fruitful soil. Today the devil speaks through the secular culture surrounding us. And yet thank God that he, God, continues to speak to us through his word. Jesus' answer, again quoting from Deuteronomy 6, is equally straight to the point. Get away, Satan. Go back to where you belong because it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, another root of our problems, isn't it? Because we don't always want to worship God only, do we? We love to worship self and more goodies. But Jesus' answer is the best defence to this area of temptation. James says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is what we need to do on every occasion if we are serious as believers living as children of God. For once temptation takes root, we are in trouble. But what a promise. If we resist in God's strength, Satan will flee from us. As Christ resisted and won, so the same victory for, is for all who trust in him for salvation. I don't know whether you noticed at the end of Luke's account, we read that the devil left him until... A more opportune time. And Jesus would suffer temptation all through his life leading up to the cross. And those very hours before he hung and died there. But Jesus overcome. His victory in the desert becomes ours. And so we are no longer slaves to sin, unable to resist temptation. We fight against the allure of sin by going to Jesus in faith and prayer. 
knowing that the one who fought the tempter on our behalf is with us in our time of need. Pray that God's word will encourage us to stand firm in his word with his strength, even through the day.